Hi everyone and welcome to The Fix. I'm your host for The Fix here on the TWIP Network. You know, we spend a lot of time in this podcast talking about how to, how to use Lightroom, how to use Photoshop, how to process your photos. Well, there's another really important ingredient that goes into making a great photograph, and that, of course, is creativity. Tonight, my special guest, Sean Kernan, is going to talk with us about how to become more creative as a photographer. We'll chat a bit about the subject, and then, and this is the very special part, Sean is going to share his screen and show us some specific exercises that you can try as a photographer to try and enhance your creativity and your approach to taking photographs. Sean Kernan is a very skilled photographer in his own right. He's published an amazing book of photographs called The Secret Books that I really urge you to take a look at. He also has recently written a book called Looking Into the Light, which is all about creativity and what you can do to get better at being a creative photographer. So let's jump in and talk with Sean Kernan. Sean Kernan, thanks so much for joining me. Happy to be here in Boulder with you. Well, you're not actually in Boulder. You're somewhere else far away. The magic of the internet. (laughs) So I know that you have written a terrific book. And I know that because you were so kind as to share that with me. And I've written, I've read, you know, part of it, not all of it. And I am amazed by what I'm reading. You are giving me so many ideas. This book is called Looking into the Light, right? Yes, it is. What's it about? Um, It's about, it's my effort to put what I've, learned in 35 years of workshops and done in workshops into some form that doesn't require flying to Maine or Santa Fe and getting together with 12 other people, although that's wonderful too. So I've, I've just tried to see if I could, if I could get this, this stuff, I don't know what else to call it, this stuff, into some form that people could, could get it and work with it and play with it themselves it's a, it's a strange thing. It has no shape, as you can see. You could start at any point and read it in any direction, and it would still work. So, Well, let me ask you this. What is it about? It's a book about creativity. Would that be fair? It's, it is a book about creativity, which I think is the most important part of photography. Nobody ever taught me how to... How to uh, I never studied photography, and I never, so I didn't know how to teach it. Um, but when I, when I did start teaching it, I felt that the real work began maybe before you touched the camera while it was hanging at your side when you were walking around. It's about the state that you were walking around in. And if you're walking around looking for a specific thing, then you see that. Or if you don't see that, you go home. But if you walk around and see everything, then everything becomes uh, the kind of photograph that I want to take, which is one that I can't think up sitting at home. So you're suggesting then when you were walking around with your camera that you stopped thinking about photography? I stopped thinking about photography. Uh, I try to stop thinking about photography or how, it's, how I'm going to do it, how I'm going to get it done, and just kind of, kind of get lost. My, my, if I can tell you this, this little illustration that I came up with, which is if, you, if, you, if a photographer walked into a meeting room in a hotel, He'd look around and say, Where, where's the picture here? The president is speaking in an hour. Where can I get a good photograph? Where, where's, where are the angles? The Secret Service man walks in. He looks around and he says, where could somebody get into this place? Where are the doors? Where are the exits? We have to seal them. But a two-year-old would walk in and he would think nothing at all. He'd just take it all in. All the energy, all the excitement. So he's seeing a much, a much broader picture. And what I want to do is get back to be, being that two-year-old again. 
Well, that's quite, that's, I think, asking a lot of adults, isn't it? It is and it isn't. It's in, a, in a sense, all you have to do is kind of release. And, and it, it's so close to us. That's, that's why I like these exercises that I've sort of, I have to say, stolen from everywhere, from theater games and from musicians and so forth, that they, they take you out of, the, out of the thought process and directly into the perception process. So you're perceiving, you're perceiving, but you're not structuring things. That is very important. It comes later, but at that moment of clicking, you know how I'm, I know you've had this experience of of looking at your work, whether it's files or film or whatever it is, and and you come to something and it looks as though a stranger had borrowed your camera and walked up and said, "May I have your camera?" He goes, "Click, thank you," and gives it back. And it, you think I couldn't have done that, and that's really one of the things that gets us going. Well, how can you get back to that? Because then you think, well, I have to train in this. I have to control this process. And you do. You do. But then you have to let it go again. And that's when the good work starts to happen. So that's very interesting. I, the idea I think you're getting at is that <clears throat> when you take a really good picture, you tend to say, I didn't, that was an accident. Yes, yes. And it's not an accident. Because if they keep turning up on your, your files, it's not an accident. But it's just happening outside of your normal thought process of how am I gonna how am I gonna get this done? I see. And so you developed some exercises to help us get into that state where we're not going with an intention of taking a particular photograph, but rather going out and just experiencing the world and you think that, that will help us to become more creative. Would that be I, I know I know it will, but you still can you still go out with a project. You go out the door, you say, oh, I'm going to go to the beach, or maybe the, maybe the rocks are nice. But you drop it as soon as something good happens. And, and you know what would be the great example? Ansel Adams driving by Hernandez, New Mexico. And Ansel is, you know, the greatest techie of all time. Um, and he, he sees this thing starting to happen on this church in this little village and the, the light on the cross and the whole thing and the moon is coming up. And he, he knows he has no time and he just jumps out and he sets up his camera and barely frames it and click and gets it. And because he's Ansel, he, it's all just, just right, although there's really a lot of printing work that goes into that picture. But that's how he got Moonrises. He set Ansel Adams and photography aside for that moment. There was no time. Okay, so I've got a question for you. Can yeah. you give us an example of a time when you went out shooting and this happened to you? Yes, yeah. Actually, actually, when I, when the ones that have really worked, the projects, the, the, the places that have yield, yielded uh, good photographs are places where that happened just constantly. So when I went into, I spent a lot of time in prisons in the South and, and it just challenged, I had to get rid of me. I just had to just be there. Same thing with the little boxing club in Africa that I walked into and things were happening so fast in a boxing club, you're flying. You can't say, can I do that again? Or can you do that again? Or anything. You just have to you know, ride the horse as best you can and hang on. But there was, there was not a lot of Sean Kernan there, I have to say. I have to get rid that, that, you know, the photographer you become can become kind of a, a weight sometimes. Yes, I know what you mean. So, okay, so that happened to you. So you know what it feels like. Can you describe what it feels like so people maybe can relate their own experiences of, as a photographer to what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, I can. It's <laughs> almost always uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like... 
It's like being in a roller coaster and not liking it very much, not screaming, not having fun. The, uh, you know Richard Serra, the sculptor who does yes. those enormous uh, steel things? He, he gave a talk near here recently, and he took questions, which was wonderful. And there were a lot of young art students there, and they said, one of them said, how do you, how do you set aside your anxieties so you can go ahead and do your work? He said, you don't set them aside. You go right to them. If you're not anxious, it's because you haven't started yet. And, and, and he, he said, it's, it's always, you know, when it really gets going, you're out in front of your, your mind and your thoughts, and it's, it's kind of scary, and you, and you really feel it. So it doesn't necessarily feel comfortable. It only feels comfortable if you're kind of unaware of what's really happening behind you there. <laughs> so what kinds of things are you anxious about? That you're doing it wrong, that you're bothering people? Uh, wh what is it? All of that. I'm, I'm, am I bothering people? Uh, am I doing it wrong for sure? For sure, but but sometimes wrong is just right. You know, I had a friend who wrote a book about music called "The Perfect Wrong Note," and 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 he was trying to release people from the burdens of music and doing it right, sort of in the way that I am about photography. And I, I got an email from this guy the other day. He said, "You know, I looked at my pictures. I think they were a lot more interesting before I went to photography school." Oh, absolutely. I yeah. can attest to that. There was so I, so I went to grad school in photography. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I got there, I got really nervous because people <laughs> were going, they were looking at the photos and critiquing them and saying yeah. what was wrong with them. And I was sure that I was complete fraud and they were going to find out. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and everyone felt like that, of course. Now I talked to the people who were there with me then and we all say the same thing and we start laughing, right? But everyone feels like sure. that. Okay. So I have to ask you a question about something you wrote. Um, you said in your book, and I, I hate to like, you know, you can, you can take it back if you don't still believe it. <laughs> but uh, you said, uh, when most of us photographers see something exciting, just the moment when we should be opening to it, we put a machine in front of our faces. Mm -hmm. Right? So mm -hmm. it sounds like you're saying that, that the camera almost gets in the way of this creative state. Is that what you it, think? It, it can. It can. And, and the trick is to not go there first. So <clears throat> we, you know, we'll talk about some of the exercises, but the point of a lot of these exercises is not to do them right or to do them quickly, but to then recognize that you finally, you finally shut up and you were just listening, you were in awareness, you were just paying attention to sounds and the wind and everything else, and then take up your camera. And then you're liable to get those other echoes, those, you know, the things that make overtones and things that turn a note into a chord, which is really what you want. Oh, I love that. That's really great. Yeah. Well, I am looking forward to showing us these exercises and giving us some examples. Before we do, I need to mm -hmm. ask you about post-processing, because after all, this show is about Photoshop and Lightroom and fixing your photos. And yeah. I'm really yeah. curious as to how you see the things that you do after you take a photo as fitting into this uh, this creative workflow that I believe you're advocating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it's remember? okay if you don't like, you can be negative about it. It's no, okay. No, no, I'm not going to be negative about it at all. Uh, I, I, uh, a lot of what I do, I remember I sometimes would say to an East Coast audience, I'd say, this may seem a little bit California to you, if you know what I mean. And But I said that in California once, and everybody just looked at me kind of funny. But, <laughs> but... Um, the other part of, of, um, of writing is clear language, grammatical, clear, no extra stuff, 
bringing your points forward, making them, pulling other things back to support them and that kind of thing. And I think the, the analogy is, is very good with photography. The thing is that a writer gets to uh, revise. Photographer doesn't get to revise, so they sort of have to revise and perhaps mine a little bit what goes on in their image. Uh, you know, and, and now you can do so much to it, something. And if there's something there, then you can really realize it. If there's nothing there, then you, you make something kind of empty and everybody knows it. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. But, you know, personally, I've had what I thought was a creative experience while working on photos, sitting in front of the computer. And I have sure. friends who have, you know, other photographer friends who have that where it, it doesn't even feel like photography anymore. It feels like yeah. painting or it feels like dancing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you the world goes away and you just making things. Yes. Um, and for me, it was always like that. I, I don't think the taking of the picture was ever as wonderful for me as what came after. So, really? Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know if that's true for um, uh, many other photographers. I think those who uh, prefer to use technology to make a straight photograph look better mm -hmm. are having a different experience than those of us who are just taking photographs as raw material and then doing things with them, making something else with them. It's not what I always do, but when I do it, I love the feeling. No, I, I think, I think that's, that's what you're always doing. I mean, a writer sits down and hopes to God that something will take him over and start, he'll suddenly get an image in his mind. Well, the same thing will happen with a photographer where things exceed what you had in mind and, and you have to get on them. And the same thing can happen in post because that's one of the places that it, it does have, one of the only places it can happen because you can't go back and do it again. <laughs> well, but you can if you it's, do it right. Yeah, yeah well, but it's, but it's never there if you try and go find. Um, if Ansel Adams said, you know, it, it didn't come out right, and he drove back up the highway in New Mexico, it would be a cloudy day the next day. You know? uh, that's wouldn't true. wouldn't work. So I'm very interested in um, seeing some of the exercises, if you don't mind sharing, sure. that you think will help people to get to the state where they really can get a wonderful photograph in a different way than they may be used to going about it. Okay. So this is, this is um, one of those exercises, and it actually gangs with another one. And it happens, things happen very quickly, which I, which I like. This is not something you have to struggle and learn. It's you're learning that you already know how to do it. So this is, this is we give everybody um, a Chinese brush and three pieces of paper. And I tell them to put three marks on the paper that have no relation to each other. And then I tell them to put three marks on the paper that are like distant thunder, and then three marks that are like f flute music, and three marks that are just about trouble, and so forth. And then we, we take them, and we take several of them, this one, this one, and we put them on the floor. And so here are all these, all these things that people have done. And I look at them, and they have no content, basically. They're not about anything. But you look at them and you say, where is, find me a picture of a difficult roommate. And they go to some jumbly picture. I say, find me a picture of a, of a party you wish you hadn't gone to. And they find that. Find me a picture of somebody who would be great to take a cross-country trip with. And these things become perfectly clear. Find a piece a picture of somebody who puts you to sleep every time they say anything. And so with no, with no stuff, with no objects in the picture, it's almost like working with music. 
And I think there's, there's a lot about, about um, photographic composition that, that works the way music works, which is things, some, things come forward, things are loud, and you hear the music. It's like walking by that party, and, and you know what kind of party it is. So how you place things neatly, messily, or messily on purpose. Okay, so that's, that's a quick demonstration of something. And then we go to um, another assignment, which I also do on the first day. I need to ask you, when you say the first day, you're talking about um, like I'm a week-long workshop that you teach? I'm talking about a week-long workshop. And, and so these things are things that you don't need to do in a week-long workshop. That's sort of been the trick of the book, is to find ways that people can work without 12 other people around. Um, so the next, the next thing re requires a little cooperation from someone else, but you take your camera and you set your lens at a sort of a moderate telephoto, and you put it at the closest focusing distance that you can, or about a foot, and then you tape it there so you can't refocus. And then you tape it so you can't resume and change, change what you're seeing. And the assignment is to take 150 files, focusing with the camera to your eye, moving in and out, and your subject is a friend. And, and, the, and this, the subject, the thing you're looking for is light on the body. So people move in and out and, and try different things, and they want to refocus. They may look at the one that's on screen and say, God, it would be better if I had his mouth he is, or his whole mustache. But you can't do that. And if, if people do do it, you know it right away because it's always less interesting. It's always less interesting if people do that. So I think you mentioned something about this, but this, this makes you deal with what's there rather than what you think should be there. And you can only really deal with it by going into that, into that, into that state. You would, you would never, you would never, I would never frame anything like this, but the woman was stuck, stuck in that space and she didn't like it. She said, this is not working. This is a terrible assignment. I hate this assignment. She got this, this kind of fascinating picture. It kind of looks like you have to get really close to your subject and maybe that makes photographers uncomfortable. Oh, I think it's one of the, one of the many things that makes photographers uncomfortable. You do have to get close, but once you do, Thinking about it makes them uncomfortable. Doing it, it completely disappears. It's, uh, it's like people are very anxious, made very anxious by the idea of doing a nude, but when they do it, it's no longer a naked person. It's just a bunch of lines and energy. It's like those three lines that we used, to, we put down in ink. We're just moving the eye in the same way. Oh, fantastic. Now, now... And, and everybody looks at it and realizes they've never done a picture like this in a class or something, and, and that they're really interesting. And if you practice that, and, or just allow it, it lets you give up a lot of control knowing that your eye will put it together. Your eye will do it naturally, and it will put, up, put together something very interesting. And it leads to things like this. I would never frame a picture like that. It was shot in a boxing club in Africa, but it really was more about the, uh, the energy and, and, and the movement and the, and the compaction of the energy than, uh, than if I'd backed up a little bit. Fantastic. Um, now, you know what I'm thinking of, Sean? Hmm. That I see a lot of photographs taken with smartphones. 
-hmm. that remind me of these, where you have very little control, at least you didn't used to, (laughs) the elder smartphones, and there's very little thought goes in. You see this all the time. You see kids walking around, they raise their camera, one hand, boom, picture. Now, they're not always this interesting. <laughs> so why? Why, is the, why aren't those as interesting, do you think? Well, <laughs> honestly, when you, when you, if you did this assignment, you looked, you'd look at a lot of stuff and you'd say, yeah, that's, that's not that interesting, but look at that one. And I think they're not going for that one. They're, they're still focused on the event. They still think that if I get something interesting in front of my camera, it'll be an interesting picture. And we know that's not true. Uh, you know, but... but then when you take control back, this is a, a photograph by Norman Mauskopf, and it's all about that beautiful circle drifting around, drifting around, drifting around, and it's just, it's just a bunch of hats. It's not a, but if you think, well, I'm trying to get a cowboy here, I'm trying to get this rodeo, but it's the hats, it's the music of those hats sailing in a circle that really makes this one happen. And, and you kind of have to let go and, and, and see that way instead of seeing objects in front of your camera. I see. Just take a picture. Don't take yeah. a picture of something. And, and trust that, that, that you will arrange it. Something in you will arrange it. It's, uh, it's, it's just the mind orders things. And, and if, you, if you let it go, and the same thing is true of acting. I've done a lot of acting exercises in my, in my classes and worked with a lot of actors. Um, and the best of them, uh, Alan Arkin came in my, into my class, and, and we did this wonderful series of exercises. And he said, he said, what you have to do is get away from your idea about what things should look like, which is mostly learned by watching other actors, and just let what whatever comes out will very likely be better than anything you had in mind. That's an interesting point about watching other people. I see so many photographs on the internet that all look almost the same yeah. to me. Have you noticed? I have. And, and, you know, it's a legitimate way to learn. I mean, when I started out, I tried, I had my Robert Frank period, and then I did portraits, and, and my idea of a good portrait was if it looked like Irving Penn, maybe he had taken it, you know, on a bad day or something like that. And um, so, so, but then, 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 then that fades away. It gets you to your own voice. I think it's a legitimate way to learn. But, you know, you, know, you have to know when to stop. You have to have it in mind that you want to get beyond that. And that's what a lot of people don't have, I think. So fantastic. And I think almost anybody could go out and do this exercise as you describe it. I can't remember again. What was it again? You tape your lens and do what? what? <laughs> just just up, up close, longish lens, close as you can get. And, and an accommodating friend who will, uh, who will uh, w- window light, sunlight, anything. And then 150 frames. And don't refocus. Great. I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay. And okay. the other thing that people sometimes do is they will back up but not refocus. So the whole thing goes out of focus. And that's fascinating, too, because you're just dealing with shapes then. It's no longer my friend Ed. It's, it's just shapes and light. And it works the same way. Like that one of the neck that was out of focus, one yeah. of my favorites that you showed, yeah. So what else? So that's one exercise. So that's one. Here's, here's one that I love. Um, this, is, this is something I do once again on the first day. This is, these are some shots of a class out in Santa Fe. And this you really do need other people um, to do it with you. But I can talk about it and you, you'll get it pretty quickly. The, so, so what you do is you get uh, a group of people 
in silence, in kind of soft focus. They're not looking at each other or talking to each other. And I say, just mill around. And whenever you see a space between two people, walk through it. And when you get to the outside, turn around, walk back, same thing. So they're, they're, they're close, they're farther apart. Um, very important that they not talk and not laugh. Uh, sometimes, as you can see, I've got two rubber balls here. Sometimes I bring that or cans of cat food or something and just have them start passing it silently between each other. So then people start to have to pay attention to it. Somebody's going to hand them something. So you, you have to be paying that much more attention. And, but then the, the real kicker, the real kicker comes when um, I say, after about five minutes of this, I say, I'd like you to identify two other people. Don't let them know you're watching them, but know where they are at all times. So if they go behind you, just casually turn around and pick them up again and just know where they are always. So they, they work on that for about a minute. And then I say, I'd like you to form an equilateral triangle with those two other people. And there's a moment of silence, and then they start to laugh. Because all these, there aren't, every triangle is linked to two other triangles that are going on. So, and, and then they, they start to laugh, and then they try and do it. And um, sometimes get, people get very angry about it. Some people will say, stop moving and stop ruining everything. And, but within about eight minutes, and it's never taken more than 10 minutes, within about eight minutes, there are all these interlocking triangles and they're perfect. And they've done something that when I said it, it sounded impossible. And, it's, it's, um, and, and you can't solve it mentally. So they try that first and it doesn't work but they solve it kinetically. And in 10 minutes, by setting aside your, your critical faculties, something else kicks in, takes care of everything, and there it is. So you've done something that, A, you know is impossible. You've done it in 10 minutes. But again, the, the, the main thing about it is the state that you get into while you're doing this. It's not about getting it done in 10 minutes or getting the triangles right. It's it's what you drop in order to do this. It's the same thing you drop in order to, to work with that uh, close focusing assignment. I see. So it's getting rid of your conscious awareness and letting some other force take over. It's, it's somebody call it perceiving without thinking. And, you know, when, when we see something, we walk down the street and say, what a, what a, you go, ah, ah, beautiful. The sun coming through to you. Say, ah. And then you say tree, and then you say light, and then you say beauty, and then you say maple, or is it a plane tree? And, and you sort of start categorizing, trying to find the shelf it goes on. But the more you can keep it up in the air, the longer you can keep it up in the air, the richer it gets. Eventually, it settles down itself. But it's, we're, we're so, we're so left-brained and so educated to our left-brains that, that we go there first. And they're terrific. I, I, want, I want my brain surgeon to, have, to be very left brain. But it doesn't do everything. And it doesn't do art very well. Yeah, I know what you mean. You want to get to that place. And yeah. I can see that, after, that a whole week of doing this sort of thing could change the way you feel or the way you're reacting to the world around you. Yeah, yeah. And actually, the, the, the pe people, have, people sometimes get confused by it. One guy said... I thought your exercises were about the stupidest thing I'd ever heard of. 
And then I looked at what people were doing with them. <laughs> and it was just wonderful. And people come up after, you know, five years later and say, I don't know what we did there, but my work looks better. You know? and, <laughs> and so I trusted. I really trusted. That's great. Okay, what else? Well, let's You don't see. have to give away all your secrets, though, because people no, need no. to come and go. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll show you. Do you want to look at the book pictures? And this really yeah. worked this way the whole time. Um, so this is, this is a series that I call The Secret Books. Um, and I just got an idea in my mind that you could do something with, with the theme of always a book. But what, what is a book? It's not, the, it's not information. It's not factual. It's really the, 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 the energy that comes out of it. So for several years, I was walking around just thinking, what can I put on a book? And, and nothing much changed. It's always about the same position. The lighting was pretty much the same. But then this, I, these ideas would come into my head, and I'd try to find ways to do them. And this is all pre-Photoshop, by the way. So anything you see, and um, that, for example, uh, was in front of the camera. It was, it was just sitting right there in front of the camera. Are these, these look like medium format or something? They are um, good old Type 55 Polaroid in 4x5. Uh, a, a film I miss, and they're trying to make it again, but I don't know how far they're going to get. So, you know, there was always, uh, and, and, and again, things would just come out of that, that wonderful left field where all the good things come out of. Suddenly you'd say, oh, I have an idea, and you go back and see if you could make it happen. So that's very interesting because I, when I, so this is the way I first heard of you was by seeing this book, mm -hmm. and I was completely blown away, not only because of the beauty of the photographs because of they made me think yeah i guess we would call it in fancy art school conceptual right but great you know it's not just a beautiful mountain it's something that makes me think about what does it mean and gets me all excited plus yeah. the fact i was th at that point working on book art with my photographs mm. and, and so i was all interested you hit me in like a million different ways love <laughs> it love it love it and one thing that struck me when i was thinking about when I was reading Looking for the Light, your current book with these exercises mm -hmm. for creativity and awareness is, well, that's interesting because the pictures from the secret books kind of are like um, kind of setups, right? Or constructions. Yeah. Yeah. So that you had to be purposeful about them in some mm -hmm. sense. So how does how do those two things jive? Well, it's uh, executing them was, was purposeful. And that's, that, you know, we walk on two legs. We, we had an idea strikes us from behind and knocks us over in the road. Then we get up and say, how can I do this? How can I make it clear? How can I be disciplined about it? I mean, I'm, in my own work, I'm very disciplined. I really, I really want great clarity and nothing but, and no confusion. Um, but you have to have the first thing, you have to have had that, that out of nowhere perception. Um, that's, that's where it has to begin. And, and, and you called it conceptual, it's not really uh, in the sense that it wasn't done to a plan. There was a plan, but I, you know, one day I thought, ants, I wonder if ants look like, look oh, like pipe. I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so I got some ants from North Carolina, from a little place that supplies ants. And, um, or, you know, in this case, my friends were bringing me dead birds. I, there, I was like a, you know, it was like the cat dragged them in. Um, found this book. Thought, what can I do to that? And realized I really didn't have to do anything with it. But the greatest thing, the thing that most excited me about this, 
we did this as a book and uh, with with texts by the great Argentine writer Jorge Luis Borges. And a couple of years ago, and and this was he was he was he had passed away at the time, so it was not me and Jorge working on this. And somebody said <laughs> he was he was well it was well known that he was blind. And somebody said, do you think he would have liked your pictures? <laughs> he was blind, but. <laughs> A couple of years ago, I got a phone call from Penguin UK, and they were bringing out eight of his books, and they wanted to use my photos on the cover. Yeah. And there they are. So I, I, I snuck into world literature through the servants' entrance, but I'm very happy. <laughs> so where do, they, where do people find, looking for the light, where do they find the secret book? Books. The, the, the best place to start, probably, secret books is on Amazon. Um, looking into the light, the best place to start is on my site. And there's a link to it from there and all kinds of other words. There's also a website called lookingintothelight.com, which, uh, and, and what, what, I, what we did, in order to get some sort of sense of community going, we, I set up a set of series of galleries where people can send in their own response to the assignments and we'll, we post them and that kind of thing. So it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, that's, that's what I want the site to be. Oh, that's a great idea. That's going to get a lot of, uh, of activity, I'm sure. Good. Very exciting. And your website is what? SeanKernan.com. Okay, that's great. We'll put, we'll put a little, you know, we'll post it on there so everybody can get Flashing. to the site. Yeah, Good. flash okay. it on there. Now, <laughs> what else are you doing? What are you working on now? I've been, I've been seduced into, uh, into working with video. And I did that, that uh, a little video in this boxing club in Kampala, which is sort of another universe, which is what I love to do is get into a place where nothing that I know does me any good. And then I was invited to the Crow Indian Reservation in Montana, and I've made four trips there now, just most recently was out there. Uh, just not, not trying to do a reportage on life on the reservation, but what it feels like to be there, just what it feels like. Um, the woman, when I arrived, the woman... I was working with said, so, so what do you want to say about us? And I said, I don't want to say anything. I want to listen. And that's, that's what the whole thing, I want you to be sort of a silent spectator walk, walking around uh, the reservation. It's, again, another universe. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, what about workshops? Are you going to be doing these creativity workshops again? And I, I've, I've, you know, that's the only, I do other kinds of workshops, but basically they're all this anyway. I actually started to do a portrait workshop did that in the main photo workshop, but but not not how to do portraits right, but how to how to really do something deeper than just getting the lighting right and so forth. And then and then this uh, this creativity thing, which is which is I've been it's so much fun. It's almost more fun than taking pictures. Of it's all fun. I can't. Can you believe that we have this? Is our jobs? I know. <laughs> all this I stuff know. is so great. Well, anyway, it's been a great pleasure to talk with you. Um, I am just excited uh, to look further into your books. I'm honored to get to meet you in person. Um, <laughs> and thank you so much for this being with This is sort us. of in person. I mean, it's, it's at a slight distance. Yeah, it's better than the phone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, then. Good night, Sean. All right. If you find any typos, let me know. What a treat it was to talk with Master Sean Kernan about creativity. He really knows what he's talking about. He's been teaching creativity and developing his creativity exercises for photographers and other creative professionals for over 30 years. He's taught at places like the International Center for Photography, the New School, and the Santa Fe and Maine Photo Workshops. So it was really an honor to talk with him.